Welcome to another edition of the Game Preview Podcast. Ethan Greenberg, Cynthia Freeland, the Jets rolling on. They go to Green Bay. They beat the Packers 27-10. The Jets now 4-2 and two on the year. Before we get going, Cynthia, like, what's going on right now with the Jets? This is not... Is this an unexpected jump for, in your eyes from year one to year two under Robert Sala? I mean, I think if any Jets fan were being honest and they thought, hey, you're going to go to Lambeau Field and beat the back-to-back MVP. If you'd have told people that back in, off, in August, they would have been like, I don't know. But watching the team evolve, it, do, it like before going into the game, I, like it did not even seem like a weird potential, like huge, unfathomable upset. But it, it certainly is a really amazing feather in the cap because, I mean, you're not the back-to-back MVP for no reason. Also, if you would have told that to a Jets fan, they probably would have been like, oh, Zach Wilson must have thrown for like 350 yards. He only threw for 110. The Jets scored on special teams. We're going to have to talk about special teams a little bit but- later. You know, got to give a shout out. And I know that our producer, Matt Sitkoff, wants everything he can do to talk about Philly Will Parks, as always he would like to. But let's dive into the first quarter because it kind of goes hand in hand. The Jets pass rush. Quinnen Williams, the AFC Defensive Player of the Week, now rolling on to play the Denver Broncos in back-to-back road games. Cynthia, if Quinnen plays the way that he's been playing at Lambeau Field throughout the first six games of the year, what does that do for this Jets defense? Well, first of all, let's just like put some numbers to this performance against Aaron Rodgers because, you know, the Packers, you think they have this good old line and then number 70 looked a little dicey in that one. And you know who took advantage of that? Well, the entire front, but it was really fun to see. So seven pressures, two of them resulting on sacks in sacks on 34 pass rush attempts. That's a 20.6 individual pressure rate. Think of like 10 to 12 being like pretty good. Like you went at 15 being really good, but 20.6, like that is fantastic. So what that does is provide a really nice anchor so that all of the other pieces of this front can all begin to work together even more efficiently and effectively too. I mean, four total sacks of Aaron Rodgers. Our guy Sheladon got one. We like that one. He also had four <laughs> pressures. He had an individual 12.9% pressure rate. And of course, John Franklin Myers added the other. And then front and the back, they all work together. So you're not going to get me out of this like leadoff segment without mentioning that Sauce Gardner allowed just eight total yards on one reception. He was targeted seven times, forced three incompletions. Like it was not like just you're not you're not going to complete a pass against Sauce in that last one. I mean, obviously he <laughs> wore the cheese hat after to make sure we all. Yeah. What did you think of Sauce and the cheese hat? I think it's a good look for him. You know, I, I think you should get like a, you know, they have the, like the, the statue of Liberty or like, you know, like the Chrysler mm. building. I think you should keep it back to like, go, go New York. Like don't put that cheese hat on just to, just to keep wow. it. Wow. I'm, I'm impressed that you said the Chrysler building. Cause I feel That's like most my favorite people would say, yeah, it's, a, it's my favorite one as well. It's pretty, it's shiny and it's not mainstream like the empire state building. Listen, I feel like I, that, know my, I know my New York landmarks. I know. <laughs> I know you lived in Hoboken. You got a beautiful, um, site or uh, what is it? Skyline. You see the skyline when you're on the riverfront at Hoboken, which isn't really a river. Well, I guess it is, but it's not really because it's the Hudson River, which is kind of gross. doesn't matter. I'm going off on a tangent. Sheldon, I'm glad you mentioned him because that is Sheldon Rankins. He had a great game. When the Jets are able to send four defensive linemen like Sheldon, Quinnen, John Franklin Myers, and Carl Lawson, that's the Jets starting unit. When they're able to send four and get pressure and get sacks, moving and looking at the Broncos now, won't that just 
absolutely help whoever plays under center, whether that's a banged up Russell Wilson or Brett Rippon or Josh Johnson. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be like, I think it, let's just plan on Russell Wilson. I mean, I think this is one of those things where he was, it's a short week. He's probably taking some space with a, uh, whatever. I think it's going to be Russell Wilson in this matchup, but it kind of doesn't matter because if you look to see where they rank in terms of third down, 30th, where do they rank in terms of sacks allowed, 27th? Like these are not areas that the O line has been really helping out whoever's under center or out of the shotgun or wherever the quarterback's going to line up. So this is a this is a really confounding offense just in general. And I think pressure, especially if you can keep it with four. And then you also saw in this last matchup that the defense used a single high safety on 57.1% of the dropbacks, which is up from 46.6. So they were kind of one of the lowest, fifth lowest in the league in weeks one through five. And then they've really had a big uptick in that in week six. So interestingly enough, blanketing receivers, figuring this out, like maybe not against this offense that we've seen stumble and do some the the broncos offense they're they're the not best one in the league i'm trying to be nice here they're not scoring points how about that they're not scoring points at the fastest rate in the league <laughs> i think that's a that is a very polite way to say what other people would want to say about the denver broncos and russell wilson and their offense that kind of leads us to the second quarter like what in the world's going on there because the broncos trade for russell wilson in the offseason they pay him he has a lot of money on that contract, and he just hasn't been the same player, it seems, that what NFL fans are accustomed to in Seattle. Three things st stick out to me. The first is that the system that the Broncos are running, and you know that came from Nathaniel Hackett, that came from Green Bay, et cetera, it has historically, it's one that could take a minute to work out. Number two, they're committing so many penalties along their offensive line. It is bananas, bananas. So they're getting penalized a lot. They're in super unfavorable situations, first and 20, all of these gnarly bad you know the, the, it's unnecessary like every coach hates penalties I think like Nathaniel Hackett must have dreams where he's like ah they're throwing a flag in my dream like it's just <laughs> so many so that's the third and then the third thing is is if you're looking at Russell specifically going back to we had that finger injury in 2021 if you're looking at like what's happened since then he has a 60.3 completion percentage and an 88.9 passer rating since that injury with just completing one-third, 33.3% of his deep attempts. When I think Russell Wilson, I think deep ball, improv, like run around a lot, get out of the pocket, find some, and then bam, Tyler Lockett, or bam, DK Metcalf. None of that's happening. And the deep pass is a really big key to his game. He's He runs off script a lot. He likes to be off script. He, he's not, it's not like the, the same kind of high percentage throws that other guys like to run. So He's been very, very different in this past since 2021, since he had that the finger injury. And by the way, I will say Broncos only seven, you know, only seven offensive touchdowns in 2022, tied with the second fewest in the NFL. So that's my nice way of saying they're not scoring points. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I, I found a good way to say it. If I were grading that, I would give it an A plus because you Thank did a you. very nice job of threading the needle of being nice and also being very informative. And I, uh, there's a lot to break down, but. Russell Wilson, two and four, that's the worst in any season in his career. 58.6 completion percentage, also the worst in any season in his career. Same with a five to three passing touchdown interception ratio and an 83.4 passer rating. All the worst from what we've seen from Russell Wilson. And I, I wanted to go back to something you said in, in the original point of your thesis there of why the Broncos are struggling. You said that historically, 
the Green Bay Nathaniel Hackett offense is one that could take time to implement. What is it about that offense that actually takes time? Well, look, we can only assume Nathaniel Hackett will kind of be like where he grew up, right? Like who did he get mentored by, taught by, et cetera. So you do see some sort of change from like that. They have not been able to figure out this run game. And that is something that's a very big key to the type of foundation that it would imagine. I don't know, Nathan, he hasn't called me at home to be like, this is what I'd like to do, Cynthia, but like it's not happening. So I can only make that like assertion from judging where he has come from and who he has learned from or has worked with. So the run game not working is a is a problem. Part of that is because of all those penalties, right? But another part is, you know, Javante Williams being lost for the season is a big deal. I don't know what's going on with Melvin Gordon. He doesn't seem to be playing. They bring in Latavius Murray quite late. And then you've got Mike Boone. Like, these are not their original guys that they were planning on playing with. So part of it is because the run game has not been effective or efficient for them that they've been able to – they're getting really behind schedule and then in really obvious passing downs, and it's a lot harder to complete a pass, especially remember preseason they didn't have a lot of snaps together. Well, Russell Wilson doesn't know Cortland Sutton. Jerry Judy's the only guy with multiple touchdowns. Like, that's not great either, right? Like, that's that's tough, right? So when you're looking at all these different things and it just becomes easier for defense to understand what their, the strategy is. And I feel like that it's it's an interesting, it's complex because when you look at the Broncos on paper, there's clearly a lot of offensive talent there. Granted, to your point, Javante Williams, done for the year. Tim Patrick just got paid in the offseason, done for the year. But something that you said about penalties is that their offensive line's been getting called for a lot of them. Knowing what the Jets' defensive line just did in Green Bay and that the Broncos O-line without its starting left tackle at Garrett Bowles. Isn't this like the advantage for the New York Jets? If they want to get 4-0 on the road, they want to keep winning and go to 5-2, and like it'll start up front for the Jets, right? Yes. I think, if, if I'm honest, I think everything starts up front on that defense for the Jets, maybe in every game going forward. Because then if you have, a, if you're, if you're doing a good job of with this, with this defense, with that anchor, then you're able to get the run game going more efficiently in offense. Everything's complimentary. So to me, that's like this, this is the straw that stirs the drink for the entire team. So I'm looking at, you know, what, what draws teams offsides? Like, I think like Robert Salas and you champing in the bit to be like, Oh, this is gonna be fun. Like I'm excited for like this challenge here. Cause Russell Wilson, he's a great quarterback too. Like he hasn't been playing as well. We did. We outlined that, but it's still, you can't take away. Like this is Russell Wilson, right? There's a reason they paid him all that money. He's a super bowl ring. Like he, you can, there's a lot of reasons to say that he's awesome. So this is a fun one. And I think that, you know, like you've seen a lot of different, you've seen a lot of different looks. I mean, I think the linebackers are going to have fun in this one too. So I'm excited to see what happens at Mile High. I think it's going to be last year. Last mm -hmm. year, Mile High was not pretty for the Jets. It was 26 nothing week three. Totally different team. Everyone in year one. This is if the first six games are any indication for the Jets. This is a totally different team than what they were last year. And just one more thing: our two minute warning. I just made that up. Our two minute warning here in the second quarter. What do you make of Robert Sala saying earlier today that he feels like the Broncos offense? could be on the precipice of finally clicking and knowing that there's all the talent there. Like, do you see that when you watch the tape as well? In the beginning of that Chargers game, if, if you somehow missed it this past Monday, you saw something from Russell Wilson. You saw him complete three deep passes. And that, I know that sounds ridiculous, but remember, all it takes is one or two of these deep gashes to change the entire complex of a game. You know, we, 
we saw it actually on the in the Jets' favor, like with special teams. It takes like these chunk plays, some sudden, you know, sudden change, like those types of those types of situations. That does make a big difference. And Russell Wilson is always a threat of that. It started off really strong with the, against the Chargers in that first half, and then it he wasn't able to sustain it through the second half, and we saw that difference. But you know that you're always worried. It, this is not. Um, this is the, like look. The NFL is. This is the most close games and the most eight point. It's a one score wins in NFL history. So the reason that every team is a threat to potentially have a sudden change. And when you've got a guy like Russell Wilson, you cannot discount him, even with the subway commercials, even with the let's ride, like all the silly stuff. Like he is still Russell Wilson at the end of the day. And of course, they're going to be on the verge. Cortland Sutton is a very good receiver, probably underrated. So is Jerry Judy. Like they've got some really strong pieces on, on this on this offense for sure. I'm really interested to see how Russell Wilson, assuming he plays, responds with the hamstring injury. Because to your point, Russell Wilson does like to run run around a little bit. Not that he'll take off and gash you for like 20 yards a pop, but he does like to scramble. So I wonder yeah. how that hamstring injury will affect him, if at all, on Sunday in Denver. And that brings us to halftime, which I we're a week away from the Halloween talk. I've been saving it. There's a lot we can go for there, like... Is it Reese's versus Reese's? What's your favorite costume? Is it an overrated holiday? Everything like that. That will be next week on the Game Preview Perfect. Podcast. This week, I have no idea. None. Well, I think that we're in that like in that crucial moment where the the East Coast and the Midwest, it's my favorite time of the year. Like mm. so right before right before Halloween. Once it hits Halloween, you're like, uh oh, winter is coming. I do love Thanksgiving, <laughs> but winter is coming. And right now it's like, these are like the two, I am so jealous. You get to go apple picking. There's just like that nice, you get to wear a sweater and it's like the real, like that, yep. like first crisp that you're like, Ooh, it smells like football. If that makes sense. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. So oh yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm pretty jealous of that because we, we, Look, I'm I'm not going to stay jealous long because I would rather stay warm than cold, and like, I do not like being cold. But I grew up with it. I I paid my dues with being cold. We're we're good here. Mm -hmm. But like you know, I I think that you know this is the type of week where you're like, oh, I just miss being on the East Coast or in the Midwest and the leaves, the crinkle of the leaves between uh, beneath your feet. Like that's that's I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Yeah, I do think. I think my favorite season is fall for sure. Yep. I mean. It's not too cold, but it's cold enough. You're comfortable in wearing a sweater. You can wear a fashionable coat if you so choose. There's a lot that goes on. Now, apple picking, you said that. What is your favorite type of apple? Oh, the, you've got to be careful when you get into this with me because I'm like, a, I was going to tell you, I'm going to create, like, I've been thinking about creating like apple pie cookies. So I'm going to use like a, a, a cupcake. Pie, tin. Wait, wait, wait. Apple pie cookies. That's right. I'm going to use like a cookie, Whoa. like a cupcake tin and put a cookie in there. And we're, we're going to see what happens. I don't know if it's going to be good, but we're going to improvise and it's going to be great, but you got to use a sweeter apple for that. So like it, to me, it, gala, great. I love a good like pink lady to cook with because it's like got the right density. But sometimes you sit there and you're like, I just need that Granny Smith dipped in. Yeah. Donut. Yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, uh, got options. There. What about you? I've only I've only been apple picking once in my life, and I was in high school, and I didn't realize like how many types of apples there were. Like oh my I God, feel so uneducated in the amount of, of apples there are on planet earth, because to me, like there's 
Fuji and Granny Smith and like Pink Lady and Gala and like, I don't know the rest. They all kind of look the same. They all kind of, I think, kind of taste the same. And then within within that, right, You like if you get a bad Fuji apple but a good a good pink lady apple, then I think I would lean towards a pink lady just because it was a crisper, firmer apple. With all that being said, Granny Smith to me is still the best. So I just Googled how many different varieties of apples are grown throughout the world. Yeah. hundred varieties. This seems like a little too. So this is from Apple Facts from the University of Illinois. So it seems pretty, pretty, you know. That, that's legit. Midwest for sure. Yeah. Midwest enough. It, it, but it, maybe we've rounded here because it says 100 varieties of apples are grown commercially in the U.S. and 7,500 varieties of apples are grown throughout the world. So we only know like 175th of the type of apples that are even available to us in the world. Okay. Multiple multiple things here. You and Matt Sitkoff on a wavelength. He sent me a Teams message. 7,500 varieties of apples exist throughout the world, 2,500 of which are grown in the United States. That and then like blows and 100, my mind. but like you're not going to eat a crab apple, right? So like only a hundred are like commercially a crab available. Crab apple? Yeah. Have you ever like you know you walk down the street, you have them for sure. I, my grandma had them in Yonkers, like those little weird apples that fall off the tree on the on the oh, sidewalk. Oh, like those are called crab apples. I think so. That's what we call it. Maybe maybe not, but I think that's what we call. <laughs> okay. They're they're now crab apples. Are those the ones that that are like um like you would? I don't the, think you'd eat them. Maybe you could eat them, but like I don't. Yeah. Think you'd eat them. They're yeah. they're green. Are they green? I don't know what color they are. I'm sure there are okay. a lot of different colors, but you know what I'm saying. Well, I do because there are other apples that I would not eat, that the crab apple being one of them. That was a great unexpected halftime, though. So I feel good. I don't know if I would eat an apple at if I were a football player. I would definitely go on Crustable without a question. Maybe orange slices. Apples would not be on the list. But that is how we wrap up our halftime, which leads us back to the Jets offense, to a rookie, in Brees Hall, the third quarter, because this guy, again, back-to-back weeks, great games. He is nominated as we record for the FedEx Ground Player of the Week. TBD, if he wins, maybe by the time this gets posted, he will or will not have won. But we're crossing our fingers for Brees. Brees Hall, Cynthia, this is going to sound like an easy question or a simple question. The way that he's played, similar to Quinn Williams the past two weeks, like what does that open up for the Jets offense that maybe doesn't when he's not running the way he has? Well, a lot, right? So the first thing that I noticed in this Packers game that was different from the weeks prior was the number of shifts and motions that were used pre-snap was up. So it's 82% of offensive plays against the Packers. I remember there was inclement weather. It wasn't like perfectly, you know, sunny and there wasn't that crisp day we were talking about. It was like rainy and yucky. You were there. I wasn't, but it doesn't sound like something I wanted to stand outside for anyways. <laughs> but it, that- was, it was not something that you want to stand outside for. Not only be like, it was weird because there was no rain in the forecast and it just started coming down. But then it was also like pretty chilly and Luckily, by the time it was raining, I was in the press box. So well, perfect. all is well. Perfect. That was great. That was but anyway, so, anyway. So they're up to 82% from about 68% in the weeks prior. So some of that is really smart. It helps the quarterback identify what type of defense they're facing. But also, when you have a guy like Brees Hall, this is a guy who, whenever they had a light box last week, they made the most of it. He averaged 8.1 yards per rush against a light box. Like, why are you giving Brees Hall like whatever? It worked out. 14 rushes, 114 yards, and a touchdown in such scenarios. So, again, 8.1 average. And for fun, that 34-yard rushing touchdown, he had plus 31 rushing yards over expected. So 
he was even outperforming like lofty expectations. Light box, of course, is remember when they don't stack extra defenders in the box. So they're preparing for a pass instead of trying to de- explicitly defend the run. So I don't know. I thought that was, I thought that was very interesting, but that also creates like with Brees Hall being so efficient and effective, it creates like a lot better opportunities for short passes to work. So, you know, look, it was, it was bad weather. So 6.9 air yards per attempt. So he, Zach Wilson's averaging 9.4 in, in the games prior have to adjust for the weather. So that's interesting, but it opens up a lot more opportunities to be able to just get smaller gains. And it doesn't sound sexy, but those open up bigger gains eventually. And then if you don't need them even better, right? Keep it high probability. And I also think that lost in all of this and the way that Brees Hall has played is Michael Carter, who's no slouch of his own either. Just last week, six carries, 41 yards, 6.8 yards per carry. The Jets right now with their two backs, Cynthia, when they're able to line up at the same time, whether that's a run or a short pass, the Jets have a lot of answers, I feel like, to different personnel. Whether if you want to guard the receivers, that's fine. They have two tight ends and Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama, who are both very good at blocking and receiving. That's great. You want to stop the run? Well, they have a lot of receivers. You want to guard the guys that catch the football? Well, that's great. You have Brees Hall and Michael Carter. When you look at this talent on offense and you look at where it was last year, the way it's coming together this year, like what is the biggest difference in your opinion outside of personnel themselves and really the way that Mike LaFleur is calling these games? I just checked it because I wanted to be sure, but Michael Carter and Brees Hall were on the field together. So two running backs on the field as running backs, not like running backs lined up in a different spot. Unlike over 20% of the plays, which is a very interesting different shift than we saw from things last year. So the point is, is what I guess what I'm trying to point out is they're willing to try different things in order to stay effect, effective and efficient. So that's where you're starting to see, like ahead of last week, we talked about how the Packers were vulnerable against deep passes. Well, then the weather sort of negated that ability for the deep crosser because, you know, let's not put anyone in a situation where like a sloppy ball situation could, could get, could get you in trouble. Right. So do the higher, higher probability things. And if they keep working, don't stray from them. And that's, what's really happening here. Cause if you're, you know, you're not going to play risky in risky conditions if you're don't need to. Right. So they're doing a lot of the things that are adapting for their, it, it feels like they have better personnel and therefore they're, they're able to more better construct offensive game plans that reflect the defenses they're facing and the individual characteristics characteristics of the players to accentuate more of the positive. And then they're adapting it so that it keeps working. And and that sounds very simple, but it feels like that's, that is what it is. I feel like, I don't remember who said it. It might've been Julian Edelman. He said like football is a complicated game, but it's simple. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of yes. teams, at least that, so we've seen, like, they try to overcomplicate things. Sometimes simple is good. And to your point on the deep passes, the Jets didn't really try a lot of them, but their longest pass of the day, which was a game-changing play, came on a Corey Davis 41-yard reception. Braxton Berrios scores the next play on a 20-yard end around. Yes. The next drive, they force the Packers to punt. The Jets block that punt. Then you go up two scores. Boom goes the dynamite. Right. So but I, I guess my just, point is, is like, you just didn't need like a slew of deep passes to win that right. game, right? That right, was strategic. I, yes. Right. Yeah. It's a great point because we, we had talked about the deep crosser and how the numbers were not there for the Packers. Well, whether the way the game was going, like it, it wasn't there for the Jets. Also, if you're not good at something in the NFL, 
chances are you're probably working to fix that, that, yep. that uh, glaring, that was the word I was looking for. The glaring issue on your team is probably the one that you're trying to fix for the next week. Yep. That leads us to our fourth quarter. And I think to, in my opinion, Cynthia, and I want to get yours. This is much like for the jets defensive line being like the advantage. This in, in my opinion is the challenge for the jets. The Broncos secondary against Zach Wilson and the Jets wide receivers. Just what have you seen from Denver's defense in terms of their secondary? I mean, Denver's, as much as we can question Denver's offense, is as much credit as we need to give Denver's defense because they have been playing really well, especially remember last game um, against the Chargers, they got Justin Simmons back, who's one of the best safeties in the entire league. Also went to BC, you know, got to get that in there. But um, <laughs> but when you're looking to see what the difference, where they where the the Broncos have been a bit susceptible, it's when other teams have gotten that run game going because relying on, I mean, Pat Sertan scared off Justin Herbert. I mean, I don't know if because Mike Williams and you heard it on the broadcast, they kept mentioning it. Like Mike Williams is really good at coming down with those 50-50 balls. But Justin Herbert wasn't even looking his way with Pat Sertan blanking, blanketing him. So it was a, it was kind of like a six of one. I don't know. I don't know if it was that Justin didn't want to go there. I, I don't know. But it, it just seemed like, it just seemed like it was scary. But it's not for no reason because Pat Sertan on film has put on some great performances. I mean, in the second year, this guy has just taken some leaps and bounds forward to just be a really, a really excellent and and worthy to stay away from non-targetable corner the the good news is is that you know the the chargers were playing without keenan allen they only really had mike williams in that deep game that that's their kind of reliable receiver but and and the jets could switch it up a little bit more and i don't know if pats or tan will blanket anyone in that same way i don't think that's that that wouldn't make sense for that to be the strategy in this one but i think that the the run game and as unsexy as that sound the run game will be what the key is if for the Jets here. If they can is keep Brees Hall and Michael Carter efficient and effective and use those deeper passes strategically and not have to rely on them against this secondary, then they're great. But remember, that secondary can also, they've been penalized a lot too. So it's it's an interesting, you know, it'll be an interesting chess match there. But again, the more that Zach Wilson can stay effective and efficient it is all about these defenses are insulating both teams are really helping both teams to create their offenses to be more effective and efficient. And like I said, it will be, it will come down to that run game. You didn't see Austin Eckler run very much in the last game, but you saw he was targeted 16 times, 16. That's so many. It's all the checkdowns. I don't necessarily think it will be that different for probably Brees Hall, right? We'll see not 16, 16 is a lot, but like you'll probably see that check down situation being an area to exploit because it worked well for the chargers and other, and other running backs against the Broncos. Absolutely. I Justin Herbert, when you just look at the stat line alone, 57 attempts, he completed 37 of them only for 238 yards and not because yeah, 10 of them were to Austin Eckler for like, you know, a cloud <laughs> of dust, right? Yeah, like that's that's yeah, crazy. 10 for 47. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, and that defense, I mean, to, to your point, the, the defense and the offense in Denver, totally different. The Broncos ranked 34, 31st, not 34th, because there is no 34th team or 33rd team in the NFL. We could add so the Broncos. <laughs> yeah, okay. Who's made two of them? So that's that's great. The great. Broncos, they rank 34th and 31st in scoring offense with an average of 
points per game, but they're fourth in scoring defense, allowing an average of 16.5 points per game. And the defense is top 10 in total yards, passing, sacks. And the red zone defense in particular is very interesting because the Jets have a top 10 red zone offense. What is uh, every week you want to put up seven, but when you're going up against a team that hasn't been able to click on offense, has a banged up quarterback, like, and you're on the road, the importance of seven compared to three feels like it's of the utmost importance compared to any other week. I, I like where your head's at. I guess my, my only argument would be that on some level, like I wouldn't go for like, look, I'm an analytics person. People always mistakenly think I always am going to go for the touchdown instead of take the field goal. I, I don't necessarily like you got to trust your defense too. So I'm, it's very interesting looking at the stats. So the 20 point benchmark, right? Russell Wilson, two and three in games that the Broncos have allowed 20 or fewer points in this season. And then Zach Wilson, three, no, when the jets have not allowed over 20 points. So point being like, maybe take the, take, some of the points, if you get down close enough, like I would never advise against that. You need set, like obviously seven's preferable always, but take the points in any scenario here, because I don't, I don't, I think it, this is to me going to come down to which of these defensive fronts specifically is able to create the most havoc. And then which of the secondaries is able to back that up also, because that, that it's, it's kind of the same thing on, on both sides. I like how you basically just said that you get labeled as someone who goes for every fourth down, no matter where you are on the field. It could be first, it could be fourth and 49 from your own one yard line. And Cynthia saying, you know what? We're sending this thing. We're going for it. That's a bad, that's a bad mislabel. Well, I feel bad for you. I listened to the, I know it's terrible. Isn't it? It's horrible. Be me. Um, <laughs> I listen to the broadcasts a lot. And when they talk about like analytics, say, it just always gets, it's tough for me because I don't know what their analytics say, right? Like right. you have your own set of analytics and you also have, you know, for example, the chargers last week against the Broncos, like their kicker was banged up. Like he's not going to play now after this game. Like he, you know, it won the game winner for them, kicked the game winner for them. And, you know, so we don't know, right? So maybe how banged up are you? Like, should you not go for it? Uh, maybe he thinks I've only got 40 yards in me. Maybe, I don't know. So there's no like one hard and fast rule. There is only one thing that I think broadcast should be saying when it comes to this. And it's about limiting extra possessions. That is where you have a real analytics. Do have a, 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 a say there, meaning like, right. you know, limiting an extra possession is really key. Like chargers made some strange decisions that could have really cost them in that game. And I don't think that the jets will make those decisions because we haven't seen them do that. So they will do a better job of limiting the extra possession compared to what we saw from the chargers making some, some strange decisions in my opinion. Look, I don't know where the broadcast that gets their analytics or who or what their analytics are. All I know is that here at one jets drive, we trust your analytics here <laughs> on the game preview podcast. And, so I have one more question for you about this Denver Broncos defense before we wrap up. And this is just a fun nugget from next gen stats. Patrick Sertan has allowed 142 yards on 35 targets this season. The second fewest yards allowed in the NFL with a minimum of 30 targets. We've talked about how good of a player he is. What about the rest of this Broncos cornerbacks room and their secondary not named Justin Simmons? Is there any advantage there for the jets knowing that they have, multiple receivers like Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, even Jeff Smith, who 
there's all I'm saying is there's a lot of different flavors, a lot of different answers to this potential test on Sunday. Absolutely. What I would say though, is when you have two guys that are that key in your secondary, one safety, one corner, it helps the whole lot look good. You also have Bradley Chubb up front who's creating some havoc as well. That's those two things we talked about. They all work together. If Josie Jewell's back playing, like that's at the middle level of the defense, that's a, that's a tough one too. The reality is, is having those multiple options becomes far more favorable for the Jets if you don't need them, meaning third and four, third and three, second and four, second and three. So you have so many options in the playbook there, so you don't need it. That makes it more favorable. That will that stacks the deck in the favor of the Jets. So it's just whoever can stay away from third and unmanageable more effectively and efficiently. That's that's a in this game and in all in any game that's true, but in this game that's especially true because the defenses are configured in much in in pretty similar ways, which is why I think the Jets have the advantage because they've been able to get such eff- effective rushing capabilities from both of their main running backs and also from you know shorter passes that impersonate that that run. That is the perfect way to end the game preview podcast week seven Jets Broncos. I've looked at the forecast. It's supposed to be like 70 something degrees on Sunday in Denver. Very nice. I'm a big fan of that. Even though I do like the fall, it's nice to get away once in a while. You know, it's like a little vacation, 24 hours, a little warm weather. Feel like we're in California. Who knows? Denver's always confusing because like one day it can be 30 and the next day it can be like 80. Like it's just, it's a mm. wildly. So you'll actually probably get the best of both because the leaves will probably be changing but it will also be warm, which is a really nice, like that's a, that's a really good fall day right there. And I forgot my favorite stat of this like entire thing. So I'm going to say it right now. So Quinn and Williams and Carl Lawson have combined for 25 hits, quarterback hits. And that's the most by any teammate duo in the NFL so far this season. Just wanted everyone to know. That right there is the cherry on top of the Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is perfect. Because we started with Quinn and Williams, the AFC defensive player. It's a Quinn and Williams sandwich. (laughs) A Quinn and Williams sandwich. That's right. All right, great. Well, that is, that's how we're going to end this week. Uh, I don't have anything else. If you'd like any parting words, now is your time. And if not, I will see you next week when the Jets take on the Patriots, which will be a fun one. I, and what the one thing I have to say is for if you're watching this green. Why are my greens never, it looks like it's the same. It truly looks like it's the same. Well, not the same as this. It's the shinier. It looks like it's very close. I don't understand. If someone can explain to me how green works on a screen, I will, I would, I would like to know. I, I just don't, yeah, you, I don't get it. Your shirt kind of looks similar to the painting behind you compared to That's the, blue. The pillow. That's blue. <laughs> I'm just telling you how it looks. Don't, don't no shoot the messenger. I know. I don't understand how this works. I truly do. Like, it's very confusing. Colors are confusing. Football is confusing. A lot of it's things all are confusing. confusing. And the Game Preview Podcast is not, not confusing. confusing. We break it down. And and that's, a, I, I don't know what else to say. That's because it. I we, think we nailed there it. was like a, that was a perfect way to end the podcast. And I can't wait to talk about candy next week. I know. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs>